rolling highlands of Scotland to the spiritual splendor that is Augusta. Grab a seat, grab a glass, and punch your ticket to the power train. Serm, episode six, and it's a special one. Ev, it's great to be back on the power train. We've got a real treat. We've got our first guest on the power train, Oliver Horowitz, okay? New York Times bestseller. Little bit of a background on him. He wrote the book, An American Caddy in St. Andrews. Got accepted to Harvard, but had a gap year. Actually got accepted for the next school year. So he had a year to kill. What do you do? The guy's a golf nut, just like us. Decides to go to the University of St. Andrews for a year and caddies uh, at St. Andrews. Unbelievable story. Unbelievable story. A real treat. Um, Ev, what are, you, what are you drinking over there? This is a special morning edition of the Par Train. I, I don't think the cart girl's out yet, so... You got some Baileys in your coffee or maybe a Bloody Mary for you, Ev? Cart girl slept in. Scotch doesn't work this early, uh, at least. Well, it could, but not this morning. I've got a little spicy Bloody. Uh, what do you got? I, I, just got? I just got some espresso over here. I'm trying to get moving. I'm trying to get going. But, folks, this is really, really great. You're going to love what we've got today with Oliver. You know, you might hear some stories about run-ins with the Secret Service, caddying for Larry David, and uh, maybe finding your way around the old course uh, to make a few birdies as well. He also is... Maybe going to talk about his time in Nepal recently and his journeys there. So really exciting. Awesome. So we've got a quick word from our uh, a new sponsor, Kirkland's Premium Golf Balls. If you can believe it, uh, next to the paper towels, they're also making some pre- premium golf balls. So excited to hear from them. And then we'll jump right into our incredible talk uh, with Ollie. Introducing the next chapter in clandestine fairway performance. The Kirkland Signature 4-Piece Urethane Cover Golf Ball isn't just a step up in performance, it's a moonshot. Grab a handful of jalapeno popper samplers as you stripe a 300-yard drive straight down the pipe. Drain a 30-foot birdie as you wipe up the tears of your opponents with a quadruple roll of Kirkland Signature Paper Towels. Crack open that oil drum of chocolate-covered almonds as you drop a dart from 160 yards out. With the Kirkland Signature 4-Piece Urethane Cover Golf Ball, not only will your game achieve new heights, but you'll get a complimentary eye exam when you purchase two dozen or more balls. Kirkland Signature 4-Piece Urethane Cover Golf Balls. Because more shouldn't cost more. And we are back. We've got a special guest, uh, Ali Horovitz, coming in hot from the morning drive in the Golf Channel straight to the par train. Uh, just a little bit about Ollie. He is a New York Times best-selling author for one of my personally favorite books, uh, American Caddy in St. Andrews. Everybody knows how much I love the old course. So one of the best books I've read, it's about growing up, girls and looping at the home of golf, St. Andrews. Um, people pretty, consider this a home of golf. We're talking 15th century here, folks. So Matt, are you excited? Yeah, hard to contain myself. Uh, this is great. This is something, we're doing something very different here with the part train. And, uh, you know, Ali, we're just really, really happy to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, uh, I'm psyched to be here, psyched to be climbing on board the part train. Let's get it going. Sweet. Matt, you want to kick it off? Yeah, let's do it. Let's have a little fun. Let's get it moving here. So, so we just want to shoot you some, you know, some, some quick ones at you, Ali. Sure. So uh, one of our favorite stories uh, in reading about you uh, caddying for Larry David, uh, and everybody knows Larry David, um, but before we talk about your uh, relationship with, with Larry, um, if you've got a, sa- a favorite Seinfeld episode, we want to hear it right now. Ooh, this, this is controversial. I'm a way bigger Curb fan, um, so I'm going to go Curb, favorite episode, chairlift. 
the chairlift episode. Sure. Sure. Getting back to Larry, you got a best line or story from Larry David just spending time with him? Um, yeah, so that was 2007. I was in his group, and I'm the biggest curb fan of all time. And, and I, I like contain my my whatever. I curb my enthusiasm, you could say, until the, the 10th hole. And then I revealed that I knew every single line from curb. And he, I think he was okay with that. Uh, I hope I didn't annoy him too much. And then I just remember, guys, on – the final hole on Swilkin Bridge where to do the photo. And you always take that photo on the bridge. And he starts walking away to the other bridge. And I'm like, Larry, you're going over the wooden, like, maintenance bridge. No, no, no. Go over this one. The, the Swilkin Bridge. Do the photo. And he goes, eh. And I'm like, Larry, do the photo. Come on. Everyone's doing the photo. Do the photo. And he looks at me and he goes, eh, it's just an effing bridge. It's an effing bridge. And I literally was like, I feel like I'm in curb right now. This is incredible. So that was one of the best moments of my entire life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just dry and to the point, even at the home of golf. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, he's a hero. He was a hero. He is a hero. And uh, I hope he knows. Let I literally tell everyone I ever meet about how I catted in his group and how it was one of the best moments of my life because it's true. No, that's that, that. That is good fun right there. Um, and keeping the fun going. Next question for you. So St. Andrews, the old course. Take us back to the caddy shack if you can, and. And we'll keep the theme here. If there's got any funny, quick stories or pranks, traditions in the Caddyshack, at least you can share on the air here with us. The Caddyshack has more golf knowledge within those walls than any other, you know, place in golf I've ever been to. And these guys are so, so incredibly good. And they just know absolutely everything. And I was out with, um, with a guy, uh, earlier this summer, um, and, uh, well, actually, you know what? I want to tell you another one. This guy was on the 11th green. It's now a couple summers ago, Dave Sharp. And here's an example of the best knowledge I've ever seen. This guy, um, is caddying for a golfer who's got a downhill 15 foot putt. If the ball misses the cup, cause it's on the very back of the, uh, of the shelf on this par three 11th hole in the old course, it's going off the green. This is an ice shoot down to the hole. Yep. And yep. Dave Sharp says to his guy, Aim to advance this one inch total. And his golfer's like, what? And he's like, no, literally, I want this one inch forward. That's it. So the guy is like, okay, gets over the ball, hits it one inch, and it goes an inch, and it stops. And everyone's just like, uh, oh, my God, Dave screwed up his golfer. This is, this is horrible. Except the wind picks up. And and the gust picks the ball and it slams forward, goes faster and faster and faster, hits the cup, drops in. The whole wow. thing oh took maybe goodness. five seconds for it to drop in. Dave walks to the next hole, par, done. I was like, this guy's one of the best caddies I've ever seen. Yeah, that's out of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't believe it. <laughs> and how good is Brett Murray? Let's just talk about Brett for a sec. This is my caddy that I had when I played the old course and he's friends with sure. Ollie. Yep, it's so funny because I saw a little video that you made on, I think, on 18 on the old course, and uh, your caddy's laughing as he's taking the video. And I was like, yep, that's Brett. I know him very well. He's an amazing guy. I you know, I hung out with him pretty much every summer, every day this summer when I was back there. And uh, his older brother is at Old Collier in uh, Naples, Florida. And so I got to see his older brother when I was there a couple years ago. But Brett's, Brett's the man. Awesome. And just, Matt, for your information, I actually birdied number 11 wow. at St. Andrews. So, yeah, you know, just it in there. my favorite hole in the course, so you picked a good one. That's a par three. It plays 175 for the pros, a little bit less for uh, for amateurs. And into into the wind, we sometimes call it the shortest par five in Scotland. 
You just got to hit it. <laughs> That's the hole where Bobby Jones in 1921 was there for his first ever Open Championship, and he's uh, having a horrible round. He uh, shoots a 40 on the front nine, doubles 10. Sorry, 46 on the front nine, doubles 10, and then goes in the bunker at 11. Apparently takes three swings, can't get it out, rips up his scorecard, walks off the golf course. He apologized the next year, but they still call that bunker Bobby Jones' bunker. I mean, if you can get to Bobby Jones and get to anybody, right? You I mean, Bobby, it's really Andrews. not that hard. If you, you know? like that in St. Andrews, it uh, it sticks around for uh, millennia. <laughs> oh, that's good. Love it. There's nothing better than catting at St. Andrews in the old course. But we also know that you went to University of St. Andrews uh, for a year. So tell us about that. I mean, isn't there like 31 bars in this little town? I, I just loved it. St. Andrews is um, turned 600 years old two years ago at the university. And when I was there as a freshman, Prince William was a junior. So female applications to the university had kind of skyrocketed. <laughs> and uh, it was it was just an amazing place to go to school. I was usually the only American kid in my classes. And there would be these hilarious old Scottish professors with like impenetrable accents teaching who were fantastic. And I just really, it was a real kind of life-defining year for me because I was away from uh home for the first time in my life before by myself and and the university has a golf team guys where there are 25 kids on the team with a two handicap or better my year there were 25 of them that's impressive we had no coach we had no adult supervision we met once a week at a pub called the gin house it was (laughs) (laughs) the best team i'd ever seen and it was the coolest kids at university of st andrews were the kids on the golf team they were all the scottish versions of uh, animal house that's Matt's dream. Yeah, I'm, I'm, if, it, if it holds the name the Gin House, you know, I, I love some gin. There's still time, Matt. You could be, uh, be a grad student if you want at University of St. Andrews. If you're, if you're a grad student, you get to still play on the golf team even now, and you play unlimited golf as a student, including grad students, for the whole year on all seven courses for the equivalent of $170. That's Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, golf. you can't really fathom that. That's great. That's great. Oh, I might have to get my MBA just for that. Dude, do it. I might do it. So Ollie's got a lot of stories. And one of the ones that stood out to me in your book was the night that you and Paula Creamer uh, celebrated her 21st birthday. I believe you shared a shot. It was uh, it was her 21st birthday. She just finished the uh, the Open Championship. It was the Sunday. And we were in the Dunvegan, and uh, Lorena Ochoa had just won, as you guys remember. And she was having her big family celebration there. And uh, I get a text message from one of my caddy friends saying, oh, my God, Paula Cream is in the in the uh, Dunvegan. It's her 21st. They're like, get over here. So I was over there about like one second later. And uh, and I saw her and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I just want to I want to do something here. And I went in, uh, I w- bought two tequila shots and went over and said, happy birthday, Paula. We're doing a shot together. And wow. I think everyone else saw it. And they kind of thought um, this kid uh, is really stupid. But also we like what he's doing. We like where this is going. And everyone turned around and saw this and then started like cheering (laughs) when they heard me. So we did the tequila shot. Uh, I'm proud that I did it. I then uh, flirted with her very unsuccessfully for about 30 minutes. (laughs) That's up there with my Larry David, uh, my Larry David 30 minutes. (laughs) See, we like to cover the good stuff early, you know? Sure. Give the passengers of the park train a little something. So for context, (laughs) I forgot to say, Paula Creamer 
is uh, one of the top pros in the LPGA Tour, incredibly attractive, and a major winner. So you really got good taste. Ama- uh, amazing golfer, and uh, it was pretty cool that year anyway, guys, because you know that was the first time the Women's British Open was on the old course. And uh, it, was, uh, it was cool just getting to, see, getting to see history being made in 07. Love it. No. So how about we pick it up a little here and get into rapid fire? Okay, sure. Are you cool with that too? Let's do it. All right, Ali. So we're going to have the producers cue the music and let's go. Number one, how many birdies have you seen on the famous road hole? And that includes birdies made by you. Not many. And I've made zero on the road hole. Wow. Okay. One word to describe Costco's. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, Costco has a new Pro V1 replica called Kirkland Premium Balls. One word. Uh, different. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Um, the number one mistake people make on a golf trip to Scotland. Oh, uh, uh, too, too many golf courses. All right. Number one favorite course you've ever played, plus number one course you still want to play. Um, old course, for sure. Favorite I've, I've played. And number one I want to play, Pebble. Wow, still haven't played Pebble. Still haven't played Pebble. The price tag's a little, a little rough for a caddy, I gotta say. Yep. Polarizing topic here, Ali. Tiger Woods. Will you win another major? Yes. Yes, yes for sure. Woo. Wow. Last question. Better wife, Scottish or American? Ooh, that's, that, that's more controversial. I'm dual citizen, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say either one is fine. I'm half American. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Love it. So we got his first rapid fire uh, experience under wraps. That was fun. Uh, but let's dig in with a little bit more golf talk for those golf geeks out there. So just so everybody knows, Ollie's caddied in multiple pro events. So he, he's caddied for Huey Lewis on the European tour at the Dunhill um, the last three years, I believe. Um, and he's even six, been in the same now, group as... I can't believe it. Six now. Six now? Crazy. Wow. Yeah. So you've been in the same group as Rory McIlroy as well. So we want to know, for us golfers trying to get better ourselves, what do the pros do differently that isn't apparent to us outside the ropes and what can we learn to better our games? That's a great question. The one thing I, I want to quickly jump in with really quick is off of the rapid fire thing. When I said um, too many courses, the real, the real truth behind that is golfers to St. Andrews will uh, pack in two rounds a day, every day for five days. So they do 10 rounds in five days mm-hmm. and it sounds great on paper and they get there and it's way too much. So that we can maybe talk about that more later, but the, the main thing for those trips is be very conservative when you're planning how much golf you're going to play because those fairways are really firm. So as, um, as mm. far as the Dunhill is concerned and, and watching pros play, uh, there's two things that I've learned from, from being around pros in the Dunhill. One is that everything is just slower. They just have a different demeanor than we do. It's like a slow waltz around the course. They walk slower. They talk slower. They make decisions slower. They never get up. They never get down. It's just very calm. Like everyone's just taken a sedative. It's really bizarre. And they, huh. and, they, and, and they just don't get out of their routines. Right, Ali? That's true. If, if they hit a shot, might be heading towards out of bounds, you know, we would be screaming. We'd be like, get left, get left. They kind of don't react in that way. It's like, well, you know what? I made a bad swing and I might get penalized. I might not, but let's see. And they never have that sort of up and down that we have pretty much three times a whole. So they're very mellow. Um, we had, uh, who'd we have in our group this year? 
had a really nice French qualifier who got in for the first time called Clément Barardi, who was really good. Um, and Claymore had a really tough first round. He was two under through his opening eight holes. And then we started on the back nine, triples 18 at Carnoustie. So he then bogeys four holes after that. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'd be throwing clubs then. I'd be probably cursing. I'd be so upset. Yep. He was so level-headed, so even. Um, and then for the next two rounds, he had no chance of making the cut after that, after that six-hole stretch. He ended up like two or three under after that. So that's just a huge lesson in, in like keeping your temper on the course and just being cool, being calm. So that's number one. Number two is I was really impressed and, and always impressed with their course management. Uh, every year I'm out in the Dunhill. If sure. there's a bunker that's 275 out and if their run out's 280, 285, they're not hitting driver there if it's a tight fairway. They're not going to lose the tournament with one swing and going a pop bunker on the old course and that's it. So they're very conservative. They're always laying up short of bunkers, especially at Carnoustie, especially on, on old course. And they're, they're thinking their way around the course so much more than we do. I'd like to think that's because everyone's got a caddy there and uh, their caddies are good. Yep. And did Rory, did you see anything different in Rory than other pros you've been in, in the same group with? Great question. So here's what was different about Rory. His shots sounded different than I've ever heard golf shots sound before. Interesting. Just the way he hit that ball was was twice as pure, uh, weirdly like one and a half times louder, <laughs> and it just sounded completely different. That's how perfectly he was striping the ball that week. And I, you know, uh, that's what everybody, how everybody described Tiger as we, in his prime. And I, you know, remember going to see Tiger at the Western Open in the nineties. It sounded like a gunshot. Yeah. You know, when he, and, and talking about Rory like that, I mean, you know, there's a reason why he's, he's got all the comparisons because he's got all the tools. But it's, and, you know, and, he's, and he's fearless as well. He went for, on going back to 11, that par three, there's a Sunday pin that's cut right at the back of the green. And again, but for those of you who don't know the 11th hole on the old course, right behind the green is a huge valley off the back of the green. If you go in that valley, it's kind of like death. So the one... The one hole besides number uh, 17, you don't want to go over the green. The pin is literally a foot from the back edge of that valley. Rory goes for the pin, and he lands it pin high, and that takes major cojones, and, he, and he's got him. Love that. So just like your book, what you're doing right now is you're making all of our listeners want to go to St. Andrews. Good. Um, but let's, let's give them a little, a little, uh, tip here. How do they do it? How do they get on the old course at St. Andrews? Cause it's not just like, uh, your old city course calling in and making a tea time. Right. So, um, any, any secrets for how to get on and then how to play well? Sure. So, um, one of the biggest things that, uh, people don't know is that you, you, you don't have to book your trip and your, uh, your old course rounds a year in advance. A lot of people do. And I think the, uh, the year in advance tea times just sort of got published recently, a couple weeks ago. Um, but you can go a lot shorter term with it. Um, you can show up the week um, of your trip, just show up in St. Andrews. And every day you can enter the lottery, which is basically a ballot for getting onto the old course two days in advance. So you enter the lottery on Monday um, for Wednesday. You ballot on Tuesday for your Thursday round. 
Um, you have what I would call in the summer, you probably have a 30% chance of getting on, maybe 25% chance of being lucky in the ballot. So um, you can enter the ballot. The other thing you can do is you can show up at stupid o'clock in the morning and wait and get out as a casual. So you show up at like four in the morning, three in the morning, whatever. Some guys wait all night. Yeah. You, know, you bring a sleeping bag. It's uh, it's a funny story to tell your buddies, you know, a month later. I, I think of it as the equivalent of Beth Page Black sleeping in your car. Yeah. Um, so you have that option. Then the other thing no one knows about is you can always do these dark times. This is where you um, start after the published uh, final tea time on the ballot which is midsummer. That's about six o'clock, six twenty. Um, there's no guarantee you'll finish due to daylight and it's full fee, but because it stays light in St. Andrews until 11 PM midsummer, you will finish. And then you get that sunset and you get the wind dying down. Wow. Some of my favorite rounds in Scotland guys have been that sunset round. Love twilight and Matt, real quick. The funny story about waiting there at all marks of the night is I was told this and I still didn't believe it. So I showed up at 5 a.m., oh, no. you know, real late start. And I was 23 in line. I am so not surprised. <laughs> so funny. Um, that's awesome. And then anything that is, and obviously you got to get a caddy, but any tips to play well there? Um, yeah, getting a caddy is so important there. Not, not just because um, you'll play better because you really will. I think if you've never played the course, it's not it's not crazy to say that a, a caddy will save you ten shots easy off your off your opening round of the old course. Um, but it's not just that, guys. It's you get the history of the course, you get the history of the town. Then you yeah. get all the stories on every hole. You get the flavor of what it's like to be Scottish and be in Scotland. And I just I get really sad when I see a foursome going around the course without a caddy in the group, and I know they're there for their first time. It's just you're missing out by not taking a caddy. But anyway, so that's a big thing. The other thing is on the old course, the crazy rule that just always applies is keep it left. Left, left, left. The way the course works, you go out, you turn around, you come back on your left. So you always have another fairway to your left. Um, you can sometimes be 100 yards left and you're still fine in the fairway. All the pop bunkers are to the right. So everyone will say every time out in the old course, keep it left, keep it left, keep it left. The only two holes where that does not apply is number nine and number 10. Then you can keep it right. Other than that, it's left, left, left. Yeah, Ali, that's interesting. And because, you, you know, when, when they cover St. Andrews on, you know, for tournaments and the British Open and such, you know, they talk about, you know, and guys, guys hit a lot of drivers out there. You yeah. know, you can be confident with a driver, but you like to, to your point and helping us understand the course more, you know, you just got to keep it left, but you can, hit, you can swing away, right? Pretty much. And then the other thing is uh, that I've discovered just from being there, I just finished my 11th season there. So I know the course pretty well now is with very few exceptions, when you're hitting an approach shot in a little long, always better than short, hmm. always. And we, we saw it with Tiger last year. I, you know, I'm a huge Tiger fan. He's one of my golf heroes for sure. And just watching him play last year was, was puzzling because in the first hole, uh, you know, there's a burn in front of the green, a, a stream in, uh, in American speak, and he came up short and he went in the water on the first hole. And that's the one goal when you're caddying yeah. on number one is get your guy over smoke and burn. Um, hmm. There's just literally like example after example where a little long is better than a little short. Uh, on two, gets you past the bunkers. On three, you're past the bunkers. The only two times where long is no good is uh, 17 
11, and then also 18. If the pin's back and you're long, it's no good because then you're in the rough behind the green. Yeah. No, that's that's good. I mean, I'm having this old course knowledge here right on the park train. <laughs> Nothing like it, you know? Um, uh, Ali, and that kind of like – we're just so interested in – and you learning more about you and talking, we want to touch on a little bit about the caddy relationship with the player. And, you know, you've had a chance to caddy for pros and, and, you know, we're sure some really good players that, you know, that really turn to you and lean on you. So I don't know if you can, you know, you can talk a little bit about that and the dynamic between the pro caddy or the player caddy and what that really, that partnership looks like that maybe a listener, you know, wants to hear more about. Sure. Um, yeah, caddy, caddy for so many different people on the old course. As you're walking up to the first tee to meet your guy or girl, you have no idea who you're going to get. And um, some of my favorite rounds have been caddying for club pros. Um, I've caddied for a lot of head pros at golf clubs kind of all over the world, from Australia, from England, from uh, from France, from the U.S., from Sweden. Sometimes th- that's one of my favorite rounds to do because you know with, with, with head pros, they're such good golfers and they were such good golfers. And it's really special for them to be uh, playing themselves on the old course. And uh, I found that I found that just I, I love it um, just because I know how much um, they're respecting their time off getting to play. And, and it's so that's super cool. The um, the big thing with the player caddy relationship that I see over and over again, it's so important on the old course, because when you you guys you guys have been there for those of you who haven't. When you're on the old course, you have no idea where you're going half the time. You're hitting over these oceans of gorse on the sixth hole. You have no idea where the fairway is. Yep. you got to seriously trust your guy. On the 12th hole, there's six hidden bunkers in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> the hole's only 305 yards from where you're teeing off, and yet there's six bunkers that are completely hidden, and your caddy goes, nope, you can't be down the middle. If you're in the middle, you're in bunkers. And you go, uh, okay. <laughs> And so guys are over here, our golfers are over here sometimes for the first time ever outside of the U.S. Uh, before, and it's windy, and they're pop bunkers, and the rough is thick, and the rough closes down club faces, and the greens don't spin, and their B&B has no hot water that morning, and they're jet lagged. And there's something about it where you rely on your caddy so much on the old course. And in a weird way, just being American, I found that like sometimes my the bond with my golfers is just even stronger because they're so out of sorts and so sort of fragile at times. And they show up on the first tee and then they hear an American accent. And they go, huh? Like, yeah, what yeah, the like, hell are you doing over here? I really want to trust you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Bill Clinton was playing the old course um, a couple summers ago. And uh, and I was like, oh, my God, I was counting for some English guys. I was like, I'm sorry, I got to go say hi to my president. And I ran across the fairway. And apparently I found out later his Secret Service guys in the group see me running towards them and they go, oh, God, oh, God. oh no, we have to we got to we got a runner here. Um, <laughs> and same thing. I said hi to President Clinton. I was so uh, nervous. I called him Bill, which was probably not the best uh, way to address address him. Um, and same thing. He was like, you're American. What the hell are you doing over here? <laughs> It's pretty. It's pretty cool. But when Came you're, to see uh, you, Bill. Yeah, but you know, it's it's different because you're 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 getting golfers that have never played the course before that have no idea where they're going, and you you are being relied on um, just for really the whole experience. So I, it's it's fun every single day when you get to do that. That's for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. So uh, first of all, for all the par train listeners, I gotta say we need to thank Ollie for helping me personally, selfishly, 
when I was coming out to Scotland for my golf trip. Um, I was trying to figure out what courses to play, where to stay. And Ollie gave me an awesome lineup. I ended up going Glen Eagles, St. Andrews, Kings Barnes, and Royal Troon, despite driving on the other side of the road for two and a half hours each way and wondering if I would make it. Um, but you've obviously been all around the world. We talked about this earlier this week. Um, a lot of book tours, you've been all around. I want to hear about the best golf trip destinations and all the places you've been. Cool. I, it's, it's been really fun because after the, the book's been out, um, it's taken me to some fun places and I really, I love traveling and, um, I really like, I really like meeting people that they're from a totally different place than I've come from. And, uh, so I've been to some fun places with it. Um, I was in Iceland, uh, speaking to the Icelandic golf association a couple winters ago and discovered that there are, uh, 70 golf courses in Iceland and more golf courses per capita than any other country in the world. Now their golf season is about two and a half minutes long in the, in the winter. It's very not golf weather, but in the summer it's magical because it is 24 hour daylight. So Mm. I went back to write a golf digest piece about it, uh, about golf in Iceland because they are obsessed with golf. The golf courses are fantastically beautiful. And there's a tournament for uh, anyone who's into golf bucket list stuff. There is this amazing event in the north of Iceland called Accurary. It's just a 20-minute flight from Reykjavik. It's called the Arctic Open. It's an international uh, competition, 220 competitors. It's 36 holes. Both rounds start at midnight. Midnight golf. You are playing golf under the midnight I, sun. Yeah. I think you guys should have a special live partrain podcast from the Arctic Open. Maybe we it's need fantastic. to go to Iceland. Never thought of that. It's really cool. It's so it's so easy. Iceland air. It's just like a four and a half hour ride. You actually can break up your your trip to, to Scotland, uh, stopping over in Iceland. You can extend up to seven days with Iceland air completely free and go play golf and go soak in the hot tubs. But the, the great thing about the Arctic Open – you think, okay, maybe maybe it's a little touristy. I don't know. Not at all. It's 200 Icelanders playing in this event and 20 to 30 foreigners who are completely embraced by the Icelanders. So that's something you guys got to do. The Arctic Open, it's wow. every June in Iceland, playing golf under the midnight sun. It's pretty sweet. That's, that's number amazing. one. Um, I went to Saudi Arabia and I did a book talk uh, oh, wow. in Saudi and I played sand golf and that's really uh really up there too because the greens are called browns they're actually a mixture of sand with a little oil on them you brush them when you're done with every green there's a brush just off to the side uh water hazards are just red stakes in the desert so you hit it in there it's a it's water you have to take a penalty but you're actually just in the sand and you have a little piece of green astroturf you put the ball on uh and then when you're in an actual bunker by the green you hit from the sand um the golf carts have incredibly huge wheels on them. So you take the golf carts literally everywhere. And it was one of the most fun rounds of golf I've ever played. It's, it's crazy. Sand golf in Saudi Arabia was up there. You know, I, I like that. What's the, uh, what's the speed of those Browns? They run well. Oh my huh. God. They ran really well They They were running at like maybe an eight and they, wow. they spit a little bit when you hit into them. It was kind of cool. Wow. And so I was on a, um, a compound for Saudi Aramco. And so all the guys there, it's, there's not a lot to do, you know, for them. They're on the compound. 
and but they have this golf course and they have this golf club. And so I asked one of the guys at the talk, I was like, oh, so how often do you play golf here? He's an Indian guy. And he's like, oh, you know, not so, you know, uh, pretty usual, eight, time, eight times a week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my friend. And get, going to all these places and seeing what golf means to them, and it's to them, it's a way of connecting with their friends. It's a way of, for some, of maintaining, you know, their life away from their home country. Um, and then, and for most, it's just about doing something they love and being in a beautiful green space with, with people they love. That's, that's the common denominator, I think. That's um, but then the third one leads into, uh, into the thing I, I just sort of came back from, which is Nepal and Himalayan golf. So just to set it up, I went there uh, back in May uh, with two of my really good friends, uh, Vladimir Weinstein, who's a professional photographer, and Miles Ashton, who's uh, a f- former University of St. Andrews student like myself. And uh, Miles was the producer on a lot of the stories for the trip. And so I, I was writing a Lynx magazine piece, which has just come out about golf in Nepal. So I played all the main golf courses in Nepal. Uh, there's 31 million people in Nepal, only 700 golfers. One in 10 of those 700 is a pro. So there's a higher golfer to pro ratio than any other country in the world. Wow. 70 golf pros. So I played all the golf courses, went up to Everest Base Camp and hit a golf ball off the top of Everest Base Camp, 17,600 feet. And while we were there, we ran into one of the coolest things I've, I've, I've come across, one of the best stories I've discovered and one of the nicest people I've ever met. So we're at Royal Nepal Golf Club and we run into Pratima Sherpa. She's 17 years old. She's the number one female golfer in Nepal. She's played in nine tournaments this year. She's won seven of them. Wow. And she lives in a shed on the fourth hole of Royal Nepal Golf Club, literally. Her parents work on the golf course. The shed is 80% equipment for the golf course, you know, mowers and what have you and flags and whatever. And they live in 20% of the shed in a single room. And her dream is to become the first ever female golf pro in Nepal. So I wrote a Golf Digest piece on Pratima. I thought, how do I really get to know her uh, the way I know how? I was like, you know what? I'm going to caddy for her. Let's have her play golf and I'll <laughs> caddy for her. So I caddy for her for two rounds. And uh, she's, so, she's so good. And she plays every day. She's 17, studies business and economics in a high school uh, about an hour from the course. Gets up at five in the morning every day to help her parents uh, with their animals and the shed. Then she goes and plays golf every single day. Pratima Sherpa, she's going to be good. That, that's that's unbelievable. Great international perspective um, for golf, you know, for the game of golf for our listeners. But I mean, you talk about playing in the Arctic. You know, you're playing all over the world. Any any run-ins with some wildlife, uh, Ali, or out in Nepal, like some unexpected animals, maybe taking your ball or anything? Yes, that's a. That, that, there's been a few in nice Nepal. Team, it's Matt. yeah, in <laughs> Nepal, it's monkeys. So there are hundreds of monkeys at Royal Nepal Golf Club and at Gokarna Forest Golf Club uh, and at Himalayan Golf Club. And at Royal Nepal, if the ball is too shiny, the monkeys mistake it for eggs and they'll steal your golf ball. Oh, God. So there is literally a um, rule in the local rules. If uh, a monkey steals your ball, free drop, one club length. It's totally fine. One club length. Monkey takes your ball. Free drop. At, at Himalayan Golf Club, guess who cuts the grass? Water buffalo, literally. Wow. Water wow. buffalo are roaming the fairways, cutting the grass. Doing the job. Yep. In, uh, in Iceland, 
They were called Kriya, the Arctic Terns. That's how, who I had the run-in with. There's a golf course in Iceland um, and called Ness Golf Club. And they have these Arctic Terns who will make in their lifetime the equivalent of over one round trip to the moon in their lifetime from all of their years of migration. So they're a cute little bird. If you hit into the rough on this nine-hole golf course, the Kriya will attack you because that's their nest. Oh. So it is crazy. You go right. into the rough to find your ball, and you are attacked by a bird the size of you know your cell phone. It was it was insane. It was sort of like being in a Hitchcock film. <laughs> wow, that that that's that's good fun, but can be a little scary too. It makes you really want to hit a fairway. That's the thing. You got You got to hit fairways on that course. <laughs> No, that's uh, that's 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 good. Um, and you know, Ali, you played everywhere. You played in every condition. You can you understand golf, you know, weather and conditions, you know, different elements, probably you know better than most. And you're a great player yourself. You know, carrying you know a 1.8 index. You know, you could even get lower. So playing all around the world, is there is there one thought, whether it's a mental thought or a swing thought, that really has helped transform your game into becoming, you know. You've always been a good player, but you know you have this experience that other people don't, other golfers don't. They're trying to get better. Just wanted to you know see if you could share a thought or two that's really really helped you. Well, I mean, it's not going to be anything new. It's like you just got to swing slow. What uh, every time I get too quick, it's it's no good. Um, and and that applies if I'm on the 11th hole of the old course or the 16th hole at Himalayan Golf Club hitting over a thousand foot gorge with hawks and eagles flying over my head or if I'm teeing off at four in the morning on the 12th hole of the Arctic Open or in sand golf it's like you just got to keep it slow just like the pros do you got to you got to think like the pros think you got to everything's got to be a little slower and I'll tell you I think I mentioned this to Evan before about two weeks after the Dunhill every year for those two weeks, I just play better because I've had a week just walking alongside these pros and it really, it's like an afterglow of good golf. And then I sneak back to my own, you know, frustrations and crumbling of, of my golf scores. Keep it smooth. <laughs> yep. Love it. So we've heard about Iceland, Nepal, Saudi Arabia, Scotland. So for our listeners, I mean, I just got to, Kind of have to ask the question and address the monkey in the room. How do we travel the world and play golf for a living like you? <laughs> well, you know, I'm uh, I'm first and foremost a writer, and I, I really believe that you got to write about stuff you love and stuff you really know, and that comes across when you write about stuff that you actually really have put time in and know well. And um, and you also got to write about. Uh, about things where, where the stories and, and writing, and I love writing about people and about stories that I've come across. And I've, I've found, you know, in the last couple of years, certainly since the book's been out that going to a place 7,000 miles away from New York city and getting there and then finding someone who i share so little in common with, except that we'll be standing over an eight foot putt together and I'll be thinking it's inside left, and Pratimus Sharper will say, ah, I think it's a ball out left. And then we have this conversation about which way the putt's going to break. Like, we have that connection, and that's, that's how I get to, to meet a lot of cool people this way. And so I, I think if you're, if you're writing, you've got to write about stuff you know, stuff you love. And I think that really one thing about caddying and about going back every year 
not doing what a lot of my friends from college have done since then is I think you got to do stuff you love. And if you're doing something you love, that's going to, that's going to work for you. It's going to make you happy. So I think that's something the caddying in St. Andrews year after year has definitely taught me about life from the other, from the old Scottish caddies. And I think it's a good life lesson. If you do something you love and you make that your life, you're going to have a, you're going to have a, a happy life for sure. Love that. Sounds like the par train, Matt, you know, yeah. just do yeah. what we love. Keep the par train rolling. We're it's keeping it rolling. Start, so a couple last questions and then we'll get you out of here. Um, so we loved your stories and it sounds like you've done and seen a lot of great things up to this point. What's next for you? What's, what's the dream? Is it, is it caddying full time for, for a top pro? Is it continuing to write a new book, more travel? What's the dream for you? Well, absolutely. More books for sure. And, and, uh, I think one dream would be at some point to have the book, the American, uh, the American caddy book turned into a movie. That would be like the dream, of course. That'd be pretty fun. I'd love, I'd love to know who we get to play Uncle Ken. That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll be going back to St. Andrews for sure. And, you know, I always want St. Andrews to be a part of my life. And every year becomes a bigger part of my life. And, and I've now, you know, caddied there for a third of my life, which is just crazy. And, uh, and I hope to be coming back for more. No, that's, uh, yeah, we're, fat, we're just fascinated by your story. And, and to kind of close, to leave the listeners something, Ollie. Is there a next golf book coming out, or is there a golf book that you recently have read um, that you would recommend? Uh, because we're such big fans of your book, um, and we want to kind of feel like we can get you know in on what's going out. You know, in, in the oh, great, that's a good question. I'll give you two. Um, neither of them just came out, but they're both like definite reads. Um, number one, Tommy's Honor. You may have heard of it. It's okay. uh, about old Tom Morris and young Tom. It's such a fascinating read. You will learn 50 amazing tidbits about uh, Scotland and St. Andrews that you did not know. Um, Tommy's Honor for sure. The okay. other one is called First Off the Tee by Don Van Natta Jr. And this one is about all the U.S. presidents who have played golf, one chapter per president. It is an amazing read. Well, folks, what an episode we've had. Ollie, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we definitely got a to plug your your latest piece in Golf Digest um, about Pratima Sherpa. Um, you can find that. Is that the, the November issue? Yeah, it's one that's out now. You can get it online. If you just, I think if you Google Golf Digest and Pratima, P-R-A-T-I-M-A, that should come up. Awesome. And then obviously check out the book, American Caddy in St. Andrews. Like I said, one of my all-time favorites. Um, and you are at Oliver underscore Horovitz on Twitter and then at Oliver Horvitz on Instagram. So check them out guys. Awesome. Follow. Yeah. Yeah. No, just an absolute pleasure talking with you, Ollie. And thanks for, thanks for the great stories. Thanks for having me guys. Come over to St. Andrews next year and, uh, and I'll caddy for you. We might take you up on that. Yep. All right, Ollie, have a great one. Thanks again. And just as the sun rises and sets in Scotland, so too have we come to the end of another Par Train. Be sure to follow us at The Par Train on Instagram and Twitter, and of course subscribe to us on iTunes. And may your glasses always stay full, and your ball always end up in the bottom of the cup.